So something that apparently happens uh, pretty often is that even very complicated paradigms and worldviews uh, become so commonplace to us that they sink beneath the surface of our awareness. And whereas we, we're still functioning in them and, and are going off of them, we're not even aware that they are paradigms or presuppositions. An easy example probably is that the, the days of the week, uh, many or most people would report that they feel, we feel that it's a given day. I'm in Monday. It, it is fundamentally Tuesday. It's like fundamental reality. And yet, of course, these are just names. This is just a system that is uh, that, that somebody made up. We can get rid of the days of the week altogether. We can rename them, obviously, in different languages. They're named different. And yet we feel while we're in this system, and especially if we keep to usual sleep-wake cycles, that it is fundamentally a given day, which it is. But it's just that we have to, excuse me, we, we could... Uh, pay attention to the contingency of this uh, this conceptual system. So another such a, a very complicated paradigm that apparently has so sunk beneath the surface of our awareness that very few of us are aware of it, and yet almost all of us are going off of it, is the, the, the assumption that one segment of appearances can account for another segment of appearances. What does that mean? So uh, the simplest example is that when we see a single, for example, billiard ball hit another billiard ball our automatic assumption is that the motion of the second billiard ball is accounted by the first billiard ball the reason the second billiard ball um it, it moved in every possible way that that we can conceive of of, uh, of the matter is is the first billiard ball and yet of course this is a very complicated uh, assumption uh, that that requires a lot of uh, inquiry to, to really hopefully clarify if it's even possible to clarify at all but it's an assumption that we all make and apparently even all animals and insects make and further it's an assumption on which uh, a, a tremendous amount of, of theoretical work has been built for example that the basic supposition uh, of something such as uh, at least theoretical uh, physics would be that uh, or is that uh, a, a certain appearance could or certain uh, mathematically implied Appearance could account for another appearance. For example, if only we understood how uh, that, that something about the quote-unquote atoms that would explain gravity. That would explain why the planets move the way they do and and things fall to the ground. Right? If we use a word such as space-time and a couple of equations implying some potential something, who knows what? That would account for uh, the the appearance of gravity. And right? if we only uh, understood how um, uh, um, uh, an engine works, a car engine works enough, we would understand how a car is able to move because the car moves because of the engine. So this is a basic assumption. It may even be bizarre to, to question it, but it would seem that we can't question it. So here we can do a little bit of, uh, of reasoning and work and say that, and first ask the basic question uh, of what does it mean to deny something? Because if we're going to deny that and that is a valid thing that it's it's missing out on some, some uh, on some uh, aspect of reality we have to clarify what that aspect of reality is meaning we could easily say that's not cause it's not real cause and effect the the billiard ball another billiard ball but what what would be then real cause and effect we have to clarify what it is that we're denying it's a mistake people frequently make we say that um, you know i don't believe in x or uh, y doesn't exist or yada yada but it yet we're affirming the existence of x and y by, re by referring to them. Right? We're just confused about how things exist. For example, we think that for something to exist means I have to be able to see it and touch it. So we say, I can say that um, a, a flying elephant doesn't exist. 
because I can't see it or touch it. And yet a flying elephant is a term. It has to refer to something. Here it would probably refer to a, a visualization of an elephant flying in our head. So that's what it is referring to, precisely what does exist in our head. We can call it a flying elephant or a flying elephant, whatever. But that which which we are referring to absolutely does exist, but it exists in a in a somewhat different way than some other things, such as what we can see and touch. So that would be a precise way to state it. A flying elephant exists in a different way than does a, a, what I call a real elephant, or than does uh, other animals, things like that. But to, just to say point blank, it doesn't exist. It's just a faulty uh, uh, statement. So we see we have to, um, and of course we can combine logically things from different places and and, and create a mumbo jumbo. For example, we can say. Maybe the the um, uh, the, uh, uh, the the husband of a widow. That's a more, too morbid of an example, but let's just say the husband of a widow doesn't uh, exist, right? Uh, or the 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 child of of a barren woman. There we go. The child of a, of a of a woman who doesn't have a child doesn't exist. Correct. So here we're just recombining different things. We're just visualizing, say, a child, or visualizing a woman and calling her barren, and then saying that the child doesn't belong conceptually to that woman. We understand everything that exists does in fact exist. We're, we're not them. Um, and here we would also, what are we then uh, negating the existence of logically speaking, right? And so we're, we're just hopefully clarifying the, the meaning of such statements. Everything that exists does exist. And uh, the, we, can, we are able to scramble up sentences and create uh, in sentences that if we were to think about them have... Uh, <laughs> That, that that are that are, that are mumbo jumbo. For example, if we were to say, blah blah, right, we can't currently identify a meaning for that. But maybe if we were to say blah blah, blah a, a thousand times, and then to visualize ambiguous imagery with it, we would think, okay, there must be precise uh, a, a precise meaning meant by this statement. If I were to really inquire uh, into this statement, I would really figure out what blah, blah means. Right? So that we, that's what we would be negating there. We would say no. We would still be blah blah, blah combined with some ambiguous imagery. The same thing with these negations. So anyhow, when we negate that something is real cause and effect, we have to be able to say what is then real cause and effect and how do we do that? So we have to identify something in our experience, which is what we would call real cause and effect. So here, what, what options do we really have other than other, excuse me, than to consider our overall experience and to see that on occasion we have a very, uh, what we call a desire to, to do something, and then we pursue a modification of experience that we believe shall uh, end up in us attaining the object of our desire. For example, um, we really want to go on vacation after many months of, of no break. So consequently, then we, we go ahead with what this requires. We go on, on a booking site and get the plane tickets and get the hotel or, or other otherwise motel uh, the tent, the, the under the bridge uh, ticket, <laughs> whatever, pay, pay, we pay everything, we get the, you know, we make the arrangements and then we get on the plane and we're going on vacation. We would say the, the cause of this, that's just a word, but there's a particular relation between our conceived objective of being on vacation, being on the beach and under the, the palm trees and all that. And, and then what occurred afterward, which is that we went ahead with these, uh, with these moves, that's a distinct relation. We don't we don't have to call it anything. We can note it. It, it apparently certainly does exist. That right? is a matter of experiential fact. So now we could compare and contrast that relation between our desire to go on vacation and and the whole process again, the tickets and actually being there and all of that. The relation that therein exists, as experientially speaking, and the relation that there is when one 
thing and sense perception follows another thing. For example, one billiard ball hits another billiard ball. Let's say, is one thing akin to the other thing? And we would say no, right? Because the, the desire is a quote-unquote inner thing, meaning it's something that's not, we don't see it with our eyes, we don't hear it with our ears, we don't smell it with our nose, we don't touch it with our skin, we don't, um, what do we miss? T- smell, touch, taste, ah, we don't taste it with our tongue, and yet we're aware of its existence. And yet, uh, the, uh, when one thing follows another thing, that's contingent on us saying something, on us hearing something, and so forth and so on. For example, we hear a sound, then another sound, we see a sight, then we see another sight. So we say that it's possible to have um, sights and, or content of sense sensation. One segment of such content follow another such segment, and yet without it aligning to a desire and that which meets its desire or, or meets the desire. For example, it's possible to... Uh, with the billiard ball example, it's possible to uh, 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 that, that there's a covert device where really you hit the billiard ball and it just as it approaches visually to, to the other billiard ball, really there's a, a magnet underneath or there's some kind of mo- method of movement underneath and it moves the billiard ball. So then we it, it appeared in sense perception that one thing followed another thing. And yet if we examine more closely, we would see that there was, excuse me, another step in between. Or, for example, um, we could say um, every day or every week, uh, a young person coming to, to help our elderly neighbor. We're too lazy to do it. Somebody else does it. All right, so we see each time that uh, the, the young person takes uh, money right, or cleans the house and then takes the money. So our assumption is the cause was the money. The effect was the cleaning the house. But we don't know that because inside it could have been that meaning inside of the, the person's mind, the, the kid's mind, it could have been, I want to help, I want to do community service, I want to do something nice. The money I'm going to accept to just be, you know, to be polite to the neighbor, that's not really the cause. So the cause didn't line up, or what we want to refer now with the ter- to with the term cause, didn't line up with um, the, the content of sense perception. We saw the, the young person taking the money, we heard, we smelled, well, not smell, but whatever the relevant that. Uh, uh, senses are, and yet the the inner reality was different. So we would say that the alternative, what we would deny then, uh, as it concerns a statement such as that one segment of uh, sense experience accounts for another segment of sense experience. That is, we would deny that uh, uh, that that the relation holds between one segment of sense experience and another such segment that holds between uh, uh that what we inner in inwardly call, call cause or desire or whatever we want to say and that which fulfills the desire so consequently we would say that the only um real uh, uh, the, there's the uh, the only thing that we're aware of that can satisfy that relation is is in fact that relation meaning a desire and that which satisfies the desire will for something and that which it comes about in relation to and, and strictly because of that will. So when we say basically um, uh, the, the, the appearances, we would say that that is, uh, according to this reasoning at least, uh, the, the way to, to truly comprehend them in, in their in, if we want to uh, move beyond terms and move beyond equations and move beyond mere, mere appearances. There's a desire that is being satisfied, what we call a desire, as it concerns any and every realization of appearances. It is not that one appearance is causing another appearance. So practically speaking, that sounds very technical and maybe not so groundbreaking or shaking, but practically speaking, there's some some crazy uh, or some uh, um, 
riveting revelations here that, that we could draw from this reasoning. So, for instance, we cannot say, according to this reasoning, that, um, uh, quote-unquote, the brain causes our mind or, or any of our experience. So, to break it down real quick, we would say that the brain is a term, but rain, and it refers then to appearance. It refers to something we can see or something we can hear or something that we can smell. Uh, uh, or we can, or now we can't really hear it, right? If we slash it around, maybe we don't want to do that. But to, to some kind of sensations, and, and consequently applying the same reasoning, we can't then say that that segment of appearance accounts for another segment of appearance, such as our sight, such as our smelling, such as our, anything like that. So we wouldn't say that the brain causes any of our experience at all. It's just an idea of ours, according to uh, this reasoning. Further, we wouldn't say that our eyes cause our sight, because the eyes is something that we see. It's also just an appearance. We wouldn't say that our nose causes the, the smells. We wouldn't say any of that. Um, uh, what else wouldn't we say? Um, plenty of other things, but the mind is blanking, or the brain is blanking at the moment, but we wouldn't say such things. We would say that... Um, uh, things are resultant of, of desire and, and the, the reality is conceived in relation to desire and that would be a deeper way perhaps to, to think about things so we can think about it thank you for listening